This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. America accused the Kremlin of forcibly moving 1.6 million Ukrainians to Russia in preparation for an attempted annexation. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, America's ambassador to the UN, said Russia's actions amounted to a war crime and called for a UN investigation. Russia denied the allegations. Earlier, Russia's ruling party proposed holding referendums on the status of occupied Ukrainian territories on November 4th. Russia used a vote in occupied Crimea in 2014 to justify the peninsula's annexation. A cheap new vaccine against malaria offers up to 80% immunity against the disease, according to clinical trial results. The jab, which was developed at the University of Oxford, could be rolled out next year, though a larger trial will determine its final approval. The Serum Institute of India, a partner on the project, could produce 200 million doses of the jab per year, far more than existing manufacturers. Malaria killed 640,000 people in 2020. Australia's Senate passed its first major climate change legislation since 2011, committing the country to reduce its carbon dioxide emissions to 57% of what they were in 2005 by 2030. The new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has entered an arena where previous Labour governments were vanquished. Australians still emit more carbon per capita than any other Westerners in the G20. The UN's Human Development Index declined globally in 2021 for a second consecutive year for the first time since it was devised 30 years ago. The index comprises measures of life expectancy, education and income per person. HDI scores fell in more than 90% of the country's tract. Thanks largely to the pandemic, living standards have fallen back to what they were in 2016. The last suspect in Sunday's stabbing spree in Saskatchewan, Canada, died hours after police arrested him, ending a four-day manhunt. Global News, a Canadian agency, reported that his injuries were self-inflicted. The other suspect, his brother, was found dead on Monday. Ten people were murdered and 18 injured in the attacks, in an indigenous reservation and nearby village. Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil's president, marked his country's Independence Day with political rallies mixed with displays of military might. His oratory promised a fiery confrontation at the ballot box in October. Opinion polls show him trailing Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, a former president, by at least 10 points but Mr. Bolsonaro dismissed the polling as a lie and called Brazil's opposition evil. Economic output in Japan rebounded to pre-pandemic levels in the second quarter of 2022. GDP expanded by 3.5% year-on-year, a faster rate than had been estimated. Growth was helped by the easing of COVID-19 restrictions, which had suppressed consumer and business spending. However. Rising inflation and a sliding yen could still drag down growth in the current quarter. And fact of the day. 123. The average number of days patients in Spain wait for an operation, the most in 18 years. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Two Ways of Counting in Thai When Prayuth Chinocha, then head of Thailand's army, staged a coup to overthrow an elected government in May 2014, few thought he would dominate politics for long. Yet, on Thursday, the country's constitutional court will consider how an eight-year term limit for prime ministers, codified in the Constitution of 2017, might apply to Mr. Prayuth. The opposition argues that the prime minister's time ran out last month. The same court suspended him from official duties on August 24th. But Uncle Tu argues that only the years after 2019, when his pro-army royalist coalition won a majority in a general election, should count. The pro-establishment court may well agree. This would trigger more anti-government protests, particularly among students. Economic troubles are already fanning discontent. Poetai, the main opposition party, is eyeing a landslide in an election due next year, even after a change in the voting system. But in an autocracy built under the veil of democracy, it would be a miracle if ties were soon allowed to get the government they actually want. EU'll be damned if you do, damned if you don't. As private forecasters such as Oxford Economics downgrade Europe's economic outlook to recession, the European Central Bank meets on Thursday to decide on how much to increase interest rates. Consumer price inflation is very high. The latest figure for August was 9.1% compared with a year earlier, way above the bank's target of 2%. Before the summer, the consensus was for an increase of 0.5 percentage points but some pundits are expecting a step up of 0.75 points. Is it the right call to increase interest rates at the beginning of a potential recession? After all, inflation in Europe is not the outcome of a booming economy, but mostly the result of exorbitant energy prices. These are starting to eat so deeply into consumers' pockets and businesses' tills that the economy is weakening fast on its own, even without the added burden of the ECB's rate hikes. After underestimating the threat of inflation over the past year, the bank may now be underestimating the chances of a downturn. Building Back Better in Beirut Beirut is no stranger to a rebuild. In its tumultuous 5,000-year history, the city has had to revamp itself seven times. Most recently, after the Civil War, which ended in 1990, and a conflict with Israel in 2006, government negligence led to a huge blast that ravaged its port in 2020, killing over 200 people. The capital of Lebanon is now facing yet another reconstruction, but this time the international community has had the chance to offer ideas. On Thursday, in Spirelli Awards, a Czech architecture firm, will announce the winners of its Beirut Port Renewal Competition. Judges will choose from 40 plans from 19 countries featuring outdoor theaters, museums, vast transport links, and urban farms. The winning architects will collaborate with the Port Administration and the Lebanese government to hone their plans. The next test will be finding the money to pay for it all. It is an opportunity to reshape the future of a city, hopefully for good this time. Macron's New Democratic Wheeze The French president launches his latest brainchild on Thursday. 
The idea behind Emmanuel Macron's National Refoundation Council is to bring together politicians, unions, NGOs, business leaders, and others to discuss solutions to big challenges, including climate change and energy, employment, education, and health. The council is designed to revive democratic participation after low voter turnout at presidential and parliamentary elections this year. It is also a riposte to those who accuse Mr. Macron of excessive top-down rule and of not listening. A heavyweight government team will attend the opening day in Marcoussi, a town near Paris. Sessions will be held in different settings across France for several months. Yet already, all national opposition parties and most unions have boycotted the council, dismissing it as merely a talking shop. By denying Mr. Macron a majority at parliamentary elections in June, French voters sent a clear message that they want more collaborative rule. So far, opposition politicians seem wedded to the old confrontational culture. Pinocchio is having his moment. In Pinocchio, released on Disney Plus and in some cinemas on Thursday, Tom Hanks stars as Geppetto, a lonely Italian toy maker who carves a puppet that becomes a real boy. But Robert Zemeckis' live-action remake of the classic animation, originally released by Disney in 1940, has company. Recent films bringing Pinocchio to life include Matteo Girone's drama from 2019 and Pinocchio, A True Story, a Russian version released earlier this year. Guillermo de Toro's much-awaited stop-action version, using models, is expected to find its feet on Netflix in December. What is behind this marionette mania? Perhaps the rise of AI, since Pinocchio is, after all, a kind of robot who runs amok. Or does his nose-extending mendacity strike a chord with an age of fake news? In Carlo Collodi's The Adventures of Pinocchio, published in 1883, the nose-growing plays a surprisingly minor role. But the book's most important message is just as relevant today. It is only by caring for others that we become fully human. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday, what is the alternative name for the stapes, a bone in the middle ear? Thursday, what is the term for the smallest unit of information in a computer? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Peter Sellers, who was born on this day in 1925. To label any subject unsuitable for comedy is to admit defeat. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. 